The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 77 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Hat, and I am joined as always by the Handlock Master, Zacho. Zach, how you doing? How you doing, Hat? I'm doing okay. Hanging in there. Finally recovering from my... Uh, had this cold for like a week now, but we've gotten through it. Um, you know, I was just uh, buoyed by seeing your tweet, Mr. Double Legend, on the third, fourth, whatever day it is. I mean, is that really impressive? I'm not sure. I'm just... It's mostly because I'm having fun. Like, I'm playing. That's impressive, too. Yeah, I'm having fun. And when I'm having fun, I just get to play a lot and just hit Legend early just because it's a factor, uh, you know, with 11 multiplier, just a factor of just playing. So, uh, yeah, and Handlock has been uh, doing well for me. Very strong deck. There's a reason why it's the meta break curve this week. Yes. It's to the surprise of, well, I guess nobody at this point. Handlock's still good because uh, that's been the theme for since Handlock's existed. But it's fun. It's totally beatable. There are counters out there, but uh, it seems like you're doing well with it. A lot of other people out there, too. We'll talk about it in more detail, but in the Warlock discussion, uh, the reasoning for it for the specific build. But, uh, yeah. Meta's wide open, Hat. Uh, balance changes did really help in that regard. Um, you know, while climbing, I saw pretty much every deck out there, every style of deck. The variety is almost overwhelming. As I've seen more posts now than I have in a while of, I don't know what to do, because there's just no real thing to target. People will have wildly different experiences, ba- you know, just based on the variance of what they queue into. It's a difficult meta to figure out because you can really kind of do what you want to do. I'm pretty sure that I haven't run into a single opponent that made up uh, more than 10% of my games. Um, You pretty much see everything, every type of deck, and it's, yeah, it's hard to target, but that's kind of a good thing. That means the meta isn't very narrow. What you are rewarded for over a long number of games, you know, you want decks that are kind of well-rounded, uh, that can do well against kind of everything. Though there isn't a deck that's like that has a perfect matchup spread that you you are guaranteed to always be in a in a good spot. Sometimes you're you're gonna play handlock, you're gonna run into some poison rogues and Mozaki mages. There's no uh, there's no guarantee. I think that's a positive thing, right? We don't want a deck to have to be perfect because when that happens usually that means that deck becomes like 20% of the meta or something like that yeah and it is a clear power outlier and becomes nerfed we don't really see anything right now that matches that description uh, and we'll see if Blizzard agrees with us next week when we have Gallon on the show right uh, next week's podcast is going to have an interview uh, but this time uh, since Alec has uh, left to an unannounced project at Blizzard and no longer works at Team 5, and we miss him. Uh, but there are other members of Team 5 uh, who are very intelligent and very insightful, and pretty much all of them at this point have been pros at in the past, and one of them is Gallon, uh, and he'll be on the show. 
uh, to continue the tradition of uh, Team 5 visiting our podcast and discussing uh, meta-related stuff. We're very excited to have Gallon on. We're going to ask some, some fun questions. Uh, and we're going to, once again, plead with PR to let us have a little bit more time just because, you know, we get so excited. Um, and in addition to that interview with Gallon next week, we're also, we have our usual report on Thursday the 10th. We have our next podcast on hopefully Saturday the 12th. And, uh, you know, there's going to be a lot to get into here. We also don't know when the mini set is coming. Now, we're recording this on Friday the 4th uh, on U.S. time. We were expecting or hoping, I think hoping or coping, uh, an announcement of the mini set yesterday on the 3rd for release on the 8th. It doesn't look like that's going to happen. So either they're going to push the boundaries pretty hard with how close they get to the Master Store on the 18th. Maybe they release it on the 10th. Maybe it's on the 15th. Uh, or what is seeming more and more likely at this point is that it comes right after the Master Store on the 22nd. I'm still copium. I'm still on the copium that it's going to be on the 10th. Maybe. Maybe they announce it early next week and then release it Thursday. Uh, but yeah, it's more likely that it will be a bit weird if they release it like two, three days before submission deadline for Master's Tour. And I think based on the past example where they uh, did a Master Tour after shortly after a patch and people ended up winning or losing based on bugs... I think that's something that they might want to avoid uh, releasing a patch uh, this uh, close. Also, obviously, there is the consideration for, you know, the competitive players who kind of want to prepare, properly prepare for the tournament. So it's a, I'm wondering when that happens. But in any case, if all, you know, stays the same, we're going to have a report next week on the 10th and a podcast shortly after with an interview with Gallon. So look forward to that. But for now, we have a podcast here, episode here, discussing the current meta, which is, as we said, is wide open. There's a lot to, to dig into, and there's some stuff that's happened since uh, we've you know, produced this report. Even uh, last week's episode to last week's report... There were some developments. In particular, I'm very excited to get to the warrior section uh, because sometimes dreams really do come true. But we're going to start with uh, with Druid, which still has a pretty high play rate, has a lot of different uh, options. But I will say personally, I've seen a lot less Ramp Druid lately, uh, maybe because when I do see them, their portrait explodes. So tell us, Zach, let's start with Ramp Druid. Where are we sitting with that archetype? Yeah, Ramp Druid, uh, we talked about it. Stuck is, has been overplayed. Uh, to be fair, yeah, it's a fun deck. Try it. I played it a little bit. It's uh, it's definitely satisfying to to execute, and it's kind of funny to have so much mana and playing a bunch of yogs, sometimes multiple yogs in a game. I can see why that playstyle appeals to people. With that being said, it's not particularly great in the current meta because it's it's kind of easy to counter, and but. It's not terrible, right? It's like 49% win rate, maybe 48% in some, some rank brackets. But I will say that it's getting better over time. I'm noticing it. It's getting slightly better because there are a lot of decks that are promising right now and are rising in play, and we'll talk about them in more detail a bit later, that happen to lose to Ram Druid, right? Ram Druid's matchup spread is improving over time, 
and it's kind of finding uh, easier opponents because those opponents are happen to be very good against the rest of the field. Uh, so Bramtrude, I would say, will remain in the meta. I think it will remain fairly popular because of how um, maybe enticing it is, how satisfying it is to play for a lot of people. But I doubt that it's going to be hugely successful just because people are not very uh, eager to play decks that lose to it, right? And if it's going to remain this popular, it's still going to be worthwhile to target it to some degree. In terms of builds, nothing really changed. Uh, you know, people are playing like Spammy Arcanus, which is kind of a lane to the aggressive matchup, or you, like you play Mutinous for the slower matchups, or you play Mulverick, which is kind of a cool idea to just answer Trogs, because it is a good way to answer Trogs. But beyond that, uh, the deck kind of remains the same. Very important to have uh, the Yogs and the Yasharaj. The Yasharaj kind of makes you able to um, really have an intimidating late game where you can deal quite a bit of damage through um, Moontouch Amulets. And, you know, because you're not just playing one Yasharaj. Like, if you, the, if you play a Yasharaj and then you discover another one and you play the second one, you get back all of the corrupted... Uh, amulets and strongmen that you've played through the game and the ones that you generated and played through the first Yashirar. So it gets kind of crazy. Uh, the deck slate game can definitely be intimidating, but as I said, the deck slate game, when it comes to like perfected strategy, things like Quest Sham and things like Handlock, Ramtroid doesn't really match up that well. Uh, so something that, you know, it kind of needs to rely on that Yog Fiesta kind of thing to even the score. Ugh. I I will admit, I will admit the idea of facing a turn one trog and going coin blue Mulverick, I kinda wanna do that. I kinda wanna have a two four and, and what, uh three three two ones and a two two on turn one. Yeah, wins the do game that. hat. If I you do, do that, that, if you do that against yeah, Trog on one, you actually just win. But in any case, Druid has other options, right? We've got Beastrid's doing really well. We've got Tondrid doing really well. It's not played much because um, it's kind of an old deck, right? Um, it's not super exciting for people to play, but it, it is doing a lot of work. But Beastroid is a deck that I see a higher ceiling in terms of um, in terms of improvements because finally I'm noticing, and, and it could be meta-related, that there's a variant that's doing better than the established one that No Hands Gamer initially built with like Wildheart Guff and Ivis and stuff and stuff like that. And now I'm seeing Jerry Rig Carpenter seem play and looking quite good. And and Carpenter is a really good card in the deck. Because again, this deck is not lightning fast. It kind of wants to power spike a bit later in the game. So having a bunch of resources, uh being able to um you know, extend your hand a little bit in order to out, uh, last a bit longer, have some uh, ability to fight for the board in the early game against the faster opponents, right? And then get to your Oracle turns. Makes a bit of sense. And Living Sing is not particularly great. Like, tutoring your Matriarchs and your Umbral sounds really sweet in theory. It feels good, but it doesn't actually make you win more games uh it's not really worthwhile to just wait to living seed on turn five and maybe if you like by that point sometimes like the matriarch doesn't get discounted enough and you can't really go off oracle on the same turn so it's all a little bit slow there 
but the build that we have in the report, I'm pretty confident about it. Like it's it looks quite good that like the Jerry Wig package really helps this deck. And I actually think that this deck ceiling post refinement is higher than Tauntruid, though Tauntruid currently statistically performs better. It's mostly because there's an established perfect 30 list that pretty much everyone plays, or almost everyone plays, especially at higher levels, that just gets the job done, right? But both of these decks are pretty good. And another deck that we notice is Clown Druid. People are not playing Clown Druid again because it's kind of old. But all indications I'm seeing is that it's all outperforming Ram Druid. And I'm, you know, I've even started to see people take Ram Druid and just add some clowns, right? Add clowns to it, which is kind of interesting. Like, basically, you're playing Clown Druid without Guardian Animals and you're writing more of the package that Ram Druid utilizes. But it just shows you that the late game of Ramtruid isn't quite there unless you have that really hard and like hard finisher in the clown's uh, win condition. So that's something that people are trying to do. Yeah, it's this is one of the metas I've seen in a while where it's interesting what older decks people gravitate towards and which ones they choose not to play anymore. Because like ramp is cool, clowns less so cool, but they're a little better. Uh, beast versus taunt, like yeah, I'd rather play beast too, not just because it's it's newer, because it's more interesting, and because I like the mid game staying power. But I'm surprised to not see more razor main battle guards in the ladder right now. Yeah, I think that. Something that has to be said is that the aggressive decks, the hyper-aggressive decks, they kind of rely on some matchups in order to perform. Like, Tauntruid needs to find the face hunters and the Ramtruids to really uh, find success. And if you run into a lot of AoE-wielding decks, you're going to feel bad, right? Because when Tauntruid loses, pretty much like it runs out of gas and you just get rolled over... And the losses feel kind of bad. While, like, for example, losing with Ram Druid, like, let's say you didn't draw your ramp and you got rushed down and rolled over and you just go GG next, right? And you, you move on. And when you win uh, in extended games where you get to play Guff and you start ramping like 13, 14 mana and you yog your opponent or whatever, or Yasharaj with a bunch of Moontouch Amulet, it feels really good, right? You spend more time winning than losing. Something that I've said in the past. So... I think in terms of uh, the extension of wins and losses often affects how decks feel. And if the wins, you spend more time winning, even if the deck's overall win rate isn't as good, you're going to feel better playing it. So I think that's part of the reason why Ram Druid is, is far more popular than something like Taunt or even Beast Druid. Um, that also is vulnerable to like the AoEs. And when, when it loses, it loses the extended games where it just gets answered over and over. So... That's that's something to, to keep in mind. I think that's interesting. Uh, the psychological uh, aspect of, of choosing decks. But in any case, Druid is quite good. I think it's well positioned. Uh, and and you there's pretty much a deck for everyone just within this class. That's uh, but, but there's also another class that's extremely diverse, arguably even more successful in terms of you know, having a diverse set of options, which is Shaman. Shaman is a class that we expected to do much better after the nerf to Rogue. Um, it's easy to understand why, you know. Shaman plays the game mostly for the board. Most of Shaman decks play for the board. And even if some of them don't win through the board, they rely on Snowfall Guardian, which is a very powerful board-centric tool, right? 
and you look at Bolner Shaman doing better than it did before the patch because they're less poison rogues, less Mozaki mages. That's always good. Though I would say that Bolner Shaman might be the worst Shaman deck. It's uh, it's kind of funny, but it, it, it's kind of. Um, I would say some meta developments are increasingly hostile to it. The main thing is Showstopper and Handlock. This is something that I'm noticing in the data. This matchup is getting better and better for the Handlock because Snowfall Guardian is getting countered. Uh, like if the Handlock develops stats, the, the the Shaman doesn't have the ability to to answer those stats. It has the ability to stall the game and and Guardian into Parrot, right? But if the first Guardian gets show stopped, then the Shaman dies. Uh, so this is something that's developing, and this is something that I expect to cause Bolner Shaman to like, lose ground. Then you have the other Shaman deck that's very popular, which is Koa Shaman, which also is very board-centric, doesn't run Snowfall Guardian, but even without the Showstopper thing, it struggles against Handlock, right? But the thing that it has going for it compared to Bolner Shaman that it's really really good against anything that attacks it through the board uh, to a greater extent than, for example, Boner Shaman. Um, it does better against Ram Druid because its win condition is far more effective in that matchup. Uh, Boner Shaman often doesn't have time to get to its, like, Yashorash turn. Well, Quest Shaman can just win with just charge calls and overwhelm the Druid. Um, you look at matchups like, uh, you know, Fell Demon Hunter. The Shaman has the Quest Shaman has the far greater ability to circumvent the win condition of Expendable and then Fellfire Dead Eye. So there's all sorts of things that Shaman could do better than Boner Shaman. The only thing that really hurts it is like playing against like the Solitaire decks, which are still around, though they're less popular than before, which is why Quest Shaman got better. And obviously Handlock. Though as I said, this matchup. The Bolner Shaman matchup between, uh, against Handlock is getting so bad that it's not even that big of an upside compared to Quest Shaman in that matchup. Yeah, and Quest Shaman, what I like about it is like, if you're against a FelDH, you can just play a bunch of 2-3s and 3-2s and whatever, and you can just force them to use removal or whatever. If they don't mulligan for ammo or whatever, you can just hit them with, with stuff and do some chip damage and make them use their removal on your on your minions, make their fell barrages not go face, and then your late game is much better than theirs. Whereas Bolner, you just kind of sit there for a while. Yeah, but I would say that Quest Shaman, the way that it really beats fell demon hunter is the late game uh colossus right like they get colossus off of charge call and the fell demon hunter just can't get through or like they put out so much stats that there's like all this fell demon hunters removal is damage based so if you have a bunch of billion stats on the board like the 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 jace doesn't do enough right you can't get through to the shaman's face and that's done even like something like uh like feral spirit can help though again it depends like the expendable can get through a lot but a bunch of uh scrapyard colossus uh, can prove to be too much sometimes in any case um so those are like the two primary shamans but maybe it's not so much that i can say that they're primary anymore because burn shaman is really like it's rising on in play and i'm noticing um you know it might be beating uh boner shaman in terms of play rate by next week at least at higher levels of play i'm seeing more of this deck and you know there's a good reason it's doing really well and it's kind of shaman's answer to handlock right because unlike 
Quest and Bolner Shaman that seem to um, struggle against Handlock. Burn Shaman actually has a pretty decent matchup against as against Handlock because again, it doesn't uh, like doesn't just lose to Soul Rand and stuff and uh, you know the the Handlock's board control tools because it has burst direct damage uh, reach from hand can deal easily over 20 damage towards the late game sometimes even more than that so the, the handlock can definitely struggle there but again showstopper changes the the equation i i also expect handlock's matchup against the burn shaman to get better because of showstopper i've done very well in that matchup um because like that plan like handlock tries to pressure the shaman and then at some point the burn shaman needs to stall, and it stalls through guardians, parrots, just like Boner does. And when you show stop, then the show is over. So, uh, yeah, uh, more like more like snow stopper. Ah, huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? yeah. You basically shovel the snow when it's done. It's over. Uh, but yeah, so burn shaman, good deck, still. Definitely, there's answers to it. Like it does worse against Ramdruid, so its rise in play is helping Ramdruid get better. Uh, but you know, it's a it's a definitely a viable deck. It's a difficult deck to play. I will warn you that Burn Shaman is probably out of all the Shaman decks the one that's actually most difficult because basically from like turn six and seven on, you start counting lethal every turn. <laughs> like, and it is not easy math. It, no, it is not easy with the spell damage. With the spell damage and the overdraft, it's like you can spend quite a bit of time figuring out whether you have lethal or not. Even the best players are kind of struggle can can struggle with that. So uh, it can be quite complicated. Yeah, I was doing some math on a turn. I had this turn. I was trying. I'm not good at this deck at all. But like, I had a turn where it's like I had a Phoenix waking up that I discovered off studies. Zapper, Bloom, Bloom, Lightning Bolt, Frostbite, Overdraft, and I was like, "How much damage is this?" I I I roped trying to figure it out. Didn't get it. Went full send. Was one off lethal and lost the game. It was twenty one, by the way. Yeah, uh, that happens a lot with this stuck. And then, you know, the old deck that people kind of don't talk about is the Elemental Shaman. But Elemental Shaman, like Doom Elemental Shaman, is quite good against Handlock. Uh, when you do, like, you do Mammoth their face, uh, they don't really have a good answer to that. If you're playing the Freeze Elemental Shaman and you play against Handlock, you're going to do much worse, right? But if you're playing Doom Hammers, that can definitely get the job done. Also pretty good against, like, the Solitaire decks. Um... You know, when you just equip a Doom Hammer, they can't utilize their removal to stop you. So that's pretty effective. Yeah, there are a lot fewer Vipers around now. And so Doom Hammer is a much safer. Yeah, it's much safer to play Doom Hammer these days. Vipers are just not common and they shouldn't be because there's absolutely no reason to play them. Which is good because when that card is popular, it's not good for the game. Ah, there's a lot of shaman decks. It's we've covered what the looking at the report. We've covered two classes. We've got nine decks post refinement that we're talking about. Uh, that's pretty good. Pretty yeah. solid. Yeah, that this is a lot of options. And and to be honest, this the, the the increase in options is also happening in other classes. For example, uh, warlock. Warlock. Uh, 
though it's I will note these are three like Handlock is the most board centric. You've got a couple new discoveries. They are fairly from hand focused, but it is interesting to see more development here. Um, you've alluded to Handlock a lot and Showstopper a lot throughout the entire uh, podcast. It seems like the flexibility that you alluded to last week is still very much in play here, and there are a bunch of options. But even without altars and neophytes, I think you can do just fine with this deck. Just run Mortal Coil. Honestly, Mortal Coils are so good. People don't think about it too much, but sometimes that Mortal Coil that helps you cycle on turn four gets you that Scavenger one turn early or gets you that Bristleback one turn earlier than otherwise you would have it, and then it makes a huge impact. But that impact is often very invisible, but Coils have been fantastic. Uh, Like, I've played it, and you know, I've... uh, I'm putting coils in the, into the deck because I'm seeing how good coil performs. Coils are insane as archetype, and basically nobody's running more than one coil. Sometimes none. You know, there's uh people love neophytes. I know, guys. I know neophytes like they give you that sense of agency, but that sense of agency is not super relevant in a lot of matchups. Neophytes are pretty bad in a lot of matchups. Like, sure, they're great against, like, the Demon Hunters. If you're playing against Fell Demon Hunter, Neophytes are going to feel good. But you know what I found, Hat? That Neophytes are not even that good against Druid. Because, like, early in the game, if you're playing a Neophyte on turn 2 against a Druid and you delay their overgrowth or something, it doesn't even that matter because you're not that fast. You're not like an aggro that, that really pressures and wants to buy turns. And then when you, in the late game, if you Neophyte them, like sometimes it doesn't even matter. If they golfed and they start going into 11, 12 mana, the Neophyte's impact is significantly subdued. Like it's not even that big of a deal. So this is something that I noticed that Neophyte is not that amazing against Ram Druid as you would expect. Um, so there's some, I'm not saying it's bad. I'm saying coils are better generally. Uh, and then you look at, you know, things like altar of fire, you know, I've played with that card a little bit. It just, it's like, it's worse than coil by a ton. It doesn't really do enough, uh, for you. Not in the aggressive matchups and not in the late game matchups. It's like, you're kind of sitting and hoping and it's horrible. Horrible in the mirror, particularly bad in the mirror. You're just helping your opponent activate their bristlebacks and their scavengers. So what are you doing? So that's handlock. Play the list that we have in the report. It's really, really good. And you can be flexible. And if you see any amount of shamans, then Showstopper is going to win you so many games. I've dominated shamans with this list. Uh, In any case, that's not all for Warlock because our Warlock is coming back. Um, and our luck looks quite good. Hat looks very competitive. Looks like to have a, a pretty decent win rate. Something that I've noticed for um in, in the build that we we have is that you know maybe you want to run two owls. I actually it was kind of funny hat because like early in the week I played against an owl warlock and I played Muniness and I ate as owl, and then they played the other owl. Oh and- boy. <laughs> They played the other other owl and they won. And I added him after the game, I added the person and told him, you have basically ascended uh, by, by having two owls. And then like a day later, I look at the data and I figure out, oh, running two owls could actually be correct. It's not just, it's not dumb. It actually makes sense. And it's not necessary. It's not because of the mutinous guys. It's because this deck, doesn't need to draw all of its deck in order to win. 
You can execute your win condition earlier if you can find your combo pieces. So having two owls and being able to draw it faster so you can sack it faster means that you are only limited by when you draw phylactery. And being limited by drawing just one copy of a card rather than two accelerates the deck. So there's some there definitely some merit to running two owls uh, that I've noticed, but otherwise the deck mostly stays the same. You can cut the combo redundancy and ra- run like Mana Feeder Pantheras. That's also possible. You can add a Blood Mage Thalmos. I think Blood Mage Thalmos is kind of overrated in this build, uh, but you know it kind of depended on, thing, on, on certain opponents. But yeah. And then you have Fatigue Warlock. And Fatigue Warlock is kind of weird because I kind of ran into this build that runs like multicaster. <laughs> it's so strange. When you first discovered this build, everyone in the in the Discord channel was like, what is this deck? What's going on? Yeah, yeah. So basically, this build doesn't run Rod, but it runs a bunch of support for multicaster. And you basically... It's not lightning fast. It takes time because you actually spend mana on draws. And without Mithrivod, it takes more time for that to happen. And you often get into awkward situations of hand size. And sometimes you need to consider whether you want to burn some cards from your deck in order to get to fatigue faster. There's some awkwardness there, but the deck performs quite well. However, I will say that since doing the report, you know, I haven't seen it's kind of interesting. People are not running Mithrivod. In Fatigue Warlock, I look into the cluster, the archetype, and Mithrabrod is extremely unpopular. It's barely noticeable. But I am seeing an inkling. People are starting to experiment with Mithrabrod again in Fatigue Warlock, and it's probably very good still. Like Ugh. the build, the old build of Fatigue Warlock, yeah, the old build of Fatigue Warlock that just runs Mithrabrod and the Pantheras and the Morgue Artificer, pretty much copy and paste the old list before it was nerfed is probably still very effective. Again, this is very preliminary, but you may want to go into that direction as well. And that deck is still good. I mean, we should have seen this coming at the moment we saw Mithrabod being a very good card in Mechathun Warlock in Wild. If if Mithrabod at five mana is good enough for Wild, it's definitely good enough in Standard. And you're seeing it with these Warlock decks. The good news though, the good news though, that I don't think like, Fatigue Warlock is probably not going to be overly prevalent because if Fatigue Warlock is good, then that means Owl Warlock will be better and it will beat it. But even Owl Warlock, I don't think is going to be a super popular meta component after the nerf um, because I think it's generally weaker. It's not like I'm looking at its matchup spread. It's not the deck that that was that was nerfed before. Uh, that deck was more powerful than this one. This one is still could be like tier two, but uh, you know I, I've said it last week. There's a difference between t- being tier two and seeing like one two percent play rate compared to being tier two and being fifteen percent play rate and having everyone running vipers to stop you. You remember that, right? So that's a major difference. So I think the deck is weaker. It's more fringe. I don't think. We should be overly concerned with it. So whoever wants to run Owls can have fun and win with it too. So I think that's fine. Yeah, it's 
Rod is still a good card, which blows my mind a little bit, but also the deck I have played it, it is much clunkier, with Moorg at 3 and Rod at 5. If you want to beat it, you can. If you want to win with it, you can, but you won't win as much as before, and it wasn't even winning all that much before the nerfs, but I'm glad they nerfed Rod, because if it's still good at 5, at 4 would have been devastating. By the way, that card was printed at 3. Still just blows my mind. That card was printed at 3, and we had access to it mere months ago. Yeah, I mean, it's like the some of the mana reduction cards were always kind of broken, and the moment they got like enough support with it, then that ended up showing up. Like you can't have like three mana double thors and effects in the format like that, indiscriminate. Like, yeah, let's go. Uh, it's just so powerful, and the fact that you see it do well in Wild just tells you all you need to know. Wild is much faster format, much more punishing. The fact that Rod is a good card in that format, you know. Tells you pretty much all you need to know. I'm pretty sure if they nerfed it to six, it would be over, but... Probably. They do have Solarium in that format, though. Solarium with Rod's pretty good. Yeah, I guess so. But I don't think that's enough to me. Like, it's... No, it's if they double the cost of the card, it would probably be too much. We see that Octobot at three now is, is seeing the amount of play that I would expect Rod to see at six, which is not very much. Interesting that uh, Octobot now costs the same as Rod when it was printed. Really something there. You have to remember that Octobot kind of like gets got more than one mana nerf because it also got nerfed the shadow step aspect of it. Like when you double a rod, you don't need to spend mana again, right? But when you double step, you need to spend an additional mana for the step Octobot now compared to before. So that does slow the deck more uh, compared to also Garot got nerfed. Have to remember that twice. The win condition, it's yeah. The win condition also got nerfed on top of the mana reduction, something that hasn't happened with with our warlock and scabs too. True, a lot of things got nerfed. Eat shit, rogue. Yeah, so uh, Warlock, again, there's there's di- there's definitely dif- diversification there. Uh, in terms of Rogue, I think uh, now that we move to Rogue, not like class is less fortunate. Um, you know, the nerfs were necessary. It just happened that, you know, Thief Rogue was kind of balanced, not balanced, but was kind of competitive because of how broken Null was. Uh, in the early game and how insane Scavs was in the late game and since they had to nerf both of these cards also because of Poison Rogue and uh, that the Thief Rogue just doesn't survive and the fact that you nerf Scabs to 8 you nerf Null and you nerf Clerk to 4 and Poison Rogue is somehow still good enough a decent deck at high levels of play you know, tells you all you need to know about how important it was to to nerf the deck as hard as they nerfed it because it's still around and it's still doing decent work. Now, I will say that Poison Rogue was nerfed back to its kind of past niche of being good only at top legend and not being dominant elsewhere because before the nerf, it was dominant pretty much everywhere on ladder. And now it's kind of trash outside of legend. Um... So I think it's easier to live with that. You're going to see, a, like, if you're playing a top legend, sometimes you're going to run into some Poison Rogues and they might annoy you, but it's not, like, overly popular. We're looking at, like, a 4% play rate, maybe, something like that. 
it's not too much i can live with that um you know and the deck is obviously going to rotate eventually probably in april cloak gets unnerfed and goes into wild and without cloak that deck just doesn't function it serves a purpose in the current meta and i can make peace with it i still don't love playing against it but it keeps handlock in check a little bit yeah it kind of keeps handlock in check a little bit and Quashaman too, so okay, we can live with it. Yeah, it's fine. But I miss Thiefrog a little bit. I'm I'm gonna admit it. Yeah, I, I wish Thiefrog I wish Thiefrog was the playable deck and Poison Rogue was deleted, that's for sure. Uh because Thiefrog is really fun. I'm hoping they support this archetype. Maybe even it out, right? Not make it all about the no. Now we can buff maybe other aspects of the deck and uh, with new cards and we can we can play this deck and because Thiefrog is fun. Like if this deck was fifty one percent winner, I would love it. I would play it all the time, I think. Yes. But it's, it's fun. It is uh less than that. Yeah, it's a, a lot, lot less <laughs> than that. Yeah. Lovely. I would play it even if it was forty nine percent winner. It's just not even that. Um, so, yeah, so Rogue, you know, there's Quest Rogue, but it also got nerfed with Scabs. Scabs is a lot weaker at 8. I'm surprised how weak it is at 8. You feel it in the games. Like, you really notice it right away. Yeah, but the thing is, pretty much everyone, including us, we thought Scabs would still be very good at 8 mana, but... (laughs) Wait, are you saying a 1 mana nerf is relevant and impactful? Turns out, had maybe maybe something we need to to, to say that because maybe Team Fire weren't that crazy when they printed it at seven mana, considering how it performs at eight, and considering that they wanted hero cards to be powerful. Um, then seven mana scabs actually made sense in retrospect. It's just that the problem is that scabs is way too good at seven, and then at eight it's kind of underwhelming. So sometimes cards fall into that gap, right? Where it's it's too good at one mana, but you push it one mana, now it's not not good enough anymore. Nah, Zach, you're wrong. Call the wild at nine is still fine. Yeah, but uh, in any case, it's a bit unfortunate. But, you know, what do you do? I think it's probably a good call for the vanish effect to be at the power level that's at right now, because when that's good, you don't really want that effect in the format, and we saw what it was like. It just felt impossible to stick a board, combined with, you know, of course, the null things. But even then, it's okay for scabs to be a little worse. There are there are other knobs on the card, but really, the vanish effect was the reason that we played it. The mana cheating was really, really good, but there were other things going on with the mana cheating there, too. Everything was the reason we played it. The card was busted. The Jungle Panthers were a throw-in. That was a throw-in. That was a bonus. It's probably going to be good again in April. I expect yes. it to be. When the meta slows down just a little bit, and maybe the aggressive decks aren't as fast, and you can get to turn 8 and just flip the game, uh, I can see that definitely happening. So, are there other rogue decks? I know that we we actually removed Rogue from the website because the play rate was so low. Um, I'm curious about Quest Rogue. Quest Rogue is okay. It's 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 definitely good enough. Um, it's just a little bit boring, I guess. Uh, you know, it's an old deck. It doesn't get to, like exciting new stuff other than scabs. You know, like Quest Shaman got some some new stuff with like uh, Winchill and stuff. Handlock, I guess, didn't get stuff, but it's really strong, right? And Quest Rogue isn't particularly strong. It's kind of feels maybe a little bit too fair. 
Uh, so people aren't too excited about it. Um, yeah, and I couldn't really figure out what to do in terms of adjustments. Whether you cut scows, run something else, I don't know. Jesse, Jesse's trying to do stuff, but I haven't seen enough of that. To comment on uh, Hunter, uh, Face Hunter is pretty good, but but uh, Face Hunter is running into trouble. Uh, I actually expect Face Hunter to drop off even more at higher levels of play in terms of performance. You're already seeing it in this report. But next week might look even uglier for this uh, for this deck. You still think I, I still think that Face Hunter is going to look very good outside of Legend. I'm just wondering what happens at Legend, especially with the propagation of several strategies that do really well against it. Mostly Shadow Priest, Fell Demon Hunter, and Control Warrior, Galvanic Control Warrior, obliterate this deck. And these decks are quite good. So they rise in popularity. They give Face Hunter trouble. Ram Druid isn't quite like isn't really gaining further traction. Maybe it's stagnating. Maybe it's a little bit on the decline. So there's less food, free food for for Face Hunter. And this deck is definitely counterable. And the fact that you know you nerf Wapano, and yes, Face Hunter lost to Wapano, but Wapano's also beats all the other early game initiative focused decks that compete very well for early game board control, and they do it better than Face Hunter. Things like Tondruid and Shadow Priest are decks that Null kept away, and now they're back, and they beat Face Hunter. So that's uh, that's interesting. So for Face Hunter to see success, like, I will give credit to Face Hunter. I won't disrespect this deck, because this is one of the, maybe the only deck in the format that beats both Ramp Druid and Handlock. Uh, that's, that's something. That's worth a lot. But when you look at the rest of its matchup spread, not super impressive, and it's getting worse every day. Well, the proliferation of Warlock decks that can beat it is also kind of a big deal. I guess, uh, because when you look at uh, Owl Warlock and Fatigue Warlock, they obliterate Face Hunter. They do far better. But they, they're not overly popular yet, but there's definitely there's definitely a proliferation of several strategies that do a lot better against face hunter than the average uh, meta competitor right so we're noticing that and that does affect face hunters winner especially higher levels of play i'm not sure it's going to be tier three i'm not sure it's going to go into tier three range but it's definitely going to stick closer to the 50 percent win remark rather than like a tier one contender it's interesting to see how face hunter changes when other decks start to pivot towards you know like fighting for board and healing and taunts and all that it's really it's really fun to see that as a core part of the of the hearthstone metagame even at a high level yeah it's like things change and decks uh can only cannot be really judged in a vacuum they have to be judged in the context of the field that surrounds them this is a good example face hunter nothing changed about face hunter even people even thought it would be stronger uh, in this format because it's an expected counter to handlock and people expect the handlock to be really good but there are other surprises that happen after the balance changes that uh, with other decks emerging that do very well against it but this is not the only hunter strategy there are other hunter strategies there are but i, I wish i could talk about them more but they don't really see enough play for me to even comment on i will say that maybe Quest Hunter is respectable. It's just that people don't play enough of it, and I really can't confidently say. But I don't think it's um I don't think it's terrible. Uh, and you know, the Big Beast Hunter is probably um 
you know, I've noticed this before the patch. It's probably dips at high levels of play, and I think the people don't play it because it's really bad there. Because it's probably not the most uh, skill-intensive deck in the format, let's say. Hmm. You don't say. Yeah, but maybe at low ranks you can do pretty well. Uh, you can do okay with it. I'll, I'll say that. But yeah, Hunter is mostly about uh, face Hunter and not much else. And then you have Shadow Priest. Now, Shadow Priest is kind of interesting because, you know, that's actually, it's kind of funny because I, as a handlock player, I, I kind of struggled the most against Shadow Priest. I, I think that Shadow Priest is an aggro deck that's really skill intensive. And when I run into good players, I've run into several ones, uh, well-known ones that were playing Shadow Priest. They kind of know how to play. They kind of know how to attack you better than other players. Um... And I think that Shadow Priest is a deck. I don't think. I know. Shadow Priest is the more skill-intensive deck compared to Face Hunter as an aggro deck. Uh, the early game decision-making are greater. Uh, there is more variance in terms of uh, like early game variety in terms of approaches and how to attack things. You can play very differently against... like Face Hunter plays against... Uh, Druid and Handlock kind of similarly. Like, play one drop, snowball, buff, and stuff. Shadow Priest is a little bit different. Uh, the way that it plays around things like Soul Wind and Perpetual Flame are things that the Hunter really can't do as well. And uh, the way that it attacks different opponents through the board is really interesting to see, and it plays quite differently between different opponents. Um, also, the fact that it doesn't have that much direct damage right? It runs Mr. Smite. I mean, we're running Mr. Smite in like Hero Powers and Void Shard. That's not so super efficient. So you really need to squeeze as much damage as possible from your minions on the board. You need to maximize usage of Void Touch Attendant much better um, in order to, you know, maximize damage. And sometimes you just play it on one, right? And snowball off of like a Guardian Arc Merchant. But sometimes you can hold it a little bit. You go wide and then you use it in a Savage Roar fashion. So there's there's all sorts of interesting elements about this deck. But I will say, again, much like other decks in the format, it's not, it's very dependent on meeting a specific set of opponents in order to see great success. Like if you're seeing a lot of Ramp Druids, Face Hunters, Fantastic, right? But if you're seeing a lot of like suddenly you're seeing fell demon hunter that come in and counter the face hunter, it's not like you're doing better against them. You're seeing control warriors all of a sudden. That's not a good matchup. That's pretty painful too. Uh you're seeing like shamans, that's also not great for the for the for the shadow priest. So it really depends on what you're encountering. Uh so the deck has game, but again, not flawless. Has its has its issues. A most aggressive deck in the format right now depend on the popularity of Ram Druid to see as much success as they do. Uh, and if Ram Druid wasn't that popular, then maybe they wouldn't be as they wouldn't be as successful. I can tell you that. Yeah, uh, this was the two decks that I climbed to Legend with this season. Where I was alternating between Quest Hunter and Shadow Priest, it was interesting to see. Felt like the Quest Hunter got a little better over time, and the and the Priest got a little worse. But you know, I drew Dragon One, Dragon One going first. Like I don't care about your Quest Shaman deck. I I just have a bunch of one twos, and then they become two twos when I play the Attendant. Um, but it's definitely a 
it's interesting to see the evolution of the format over time that, again, people care about board a lot more as things go on. And this rhetoric of the format being so OTK-centric does not align with my experience at all. Playing minions is getting worse. And I'm happy to see that the push for board in the first five turns is is really just the core part of the format right now. I, I don't know. If if somebody sell, tells you that in this format, board doesn't matter, then they're not playing the game. They're armchair designers that sit and don't touch the game. Because if they actually played like a bunch of games, they would know that board does matter. And as somebody who plays quest decks... Nothing pisses me off more than a Trogon 1 going first into a Guardian Og Merchant. God damn it, I am so sick of that thing. It's working as intended. <laughs> it's, it's working as intended. It punishes the quest line players. So it does fine. It, it's fine and it's good to have in the game. Are there, are there other priest decks that are worth talking about? Miracle Priest has been the ones I've seen the most buzz about. Yeah, Miracle Priest is respectable, I would say. I think I think Miracle Priest is even getting better over time. Uh it's, you know, high skill cap. Uh decks like that improve over time. I think there is a there's a chance that Miracle Priest will end up in tier 2 at top legend. I don't think it's going to be wildly successful anywhere else on ladder, but when it comes to high level play, competitive Hearthstone, I think Miracle Priest is very relevant going forward. Um Again, it's a deck that, you know, has its struggles against certain things, but it has a surprisingly balanced matchup spread at high levels. It does has a chance against most opponents. There's no opponent that just, you know, bottom, you know, bottom right and you just go next. Uh, most opponents you definitely have a good chance with. And again, it's a very difficult deck to play. So good decision making will reward you in, in a lot of matchups. I noticed that we switched over to the Maligos and no mount build. Because it sees a ton of play, and I don't see enough of the Rally variant. It's not that the Maligos variant is now better. It's possible that the Rally... I'm, I've, I'm, I've still run into the Rally variant, uh, and and that can be... Like, I think the Rally variant is better against decks with like AoE tools, things like that. Uh, if you're playing like Handlock... And you're facing the rally variant, and suddenly you know the soul rend isn't just the GG, right? They can still go and generate a bunch of stuff and go for for a long time. Same same in other matchups uh, where you have removal. But maybe if you're facing like something like Ram Druid, you'd rather run the Malgos variant uh, because you just go and Alec Mount or whatever, and or Psych Split and. That's it. You win the game. You don't need to dilute your deck with a bunch of Sethic Veil Weavers that give you random stuff. You have one consistent plan, and that specifically works against certain opponents. Um, but I don't know. I'm not an expert in it. it un until I see more of the Rally build, I can't really compare. But Miracle Priest is definitely respectable. Definitely have good matchups against a lot of things. But again, only at higher levels, this is a tough deck to play. Quest Priest, I have to ask. Have to ask. No, 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 no. Quest Priest, not good because there are too many matchups that are just oppressive uh, for it and it doesn't work very well. Unless you run into all Ram Druid, then you're going to have a good time. But if you run into Quest Shamans, Handlocks, that kind of stuff, you're not going to have a good time. Yeah, that's what I figured. I think, you know what? I'm going to say it right now. I think Quest Priest is going to be a viable and good competitive deck 
post rotation. Ooh, a four set meta deck, huh? I think I think at some point, at some point, the met, like after rotation, the meta can slow down enough for that win condition to be relevant. And and the fact that it's the manner, like it's win condition, in the way it needs to build a deck, is not limited by a specific synergy. Because it's just mana cost related. So yeah, you're losing Light Shower Elemental, but maybe they get an, a, a different six drop to play alongside Disciple. Uh, it, it's all about filling the mana curve. And if filling the mana curve post-rotation, I think is going to be less punishing than it is right now. Because a lot of things are now synergy-based and you get blown out by crazy stuff. But if that gets watered down a bit, I think that can be relevant. You know, I, I say this a lot, but a lot of the decks right now would be utterly broken if you take one of them, like Wildfire Mage. Take it, put it in Barons right now. It would be unequivocally the best deck in the format. It would just break the game. If you take Wildfire Mage to Barons, I'm pretty sure it's insane. I think the same way for Quest Priest. Like, put it on Barons, it would just demolish, like, it would be Control Priest on steroids back then. It's just that you just need that the format to slow down a little bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, Barons was pretty especially slow, but yes, I do think Wildfire Mage, I felt like when playing it, it's like the best Barons deck ever. It's uh, pretty remarkable how how much this year has evolved and what we were used to playing with back then versus what we're willing to play with now. Yeah, I think a lot of the whiplash from Stolwyn and Barons became like that. It's not like Barons, I didn't specific, particularly like the Barons meta at all. It's just that people got so used to like grinding people out with like troublemakers and stuff that suddenly the the quest lines like things were too fast. That is true. Things got sure. too fast at at, at at Stormwind, but it was just that the stark difference. Maybe if the if the previous expansion wasn't that slow and grindy, then maybe the whiplash of Stormwind would have been wouldn't have been felt that dramatically, right? It was just we went from one extreme to another. Um. Okay, so Mage. I don't want to hear anybody tell me, Zacho, you were wrong about wanting to nerf Encantus Flow before the patch because the evidence speaks for itself. We were very lucky that Team 5 did what needed to do and nerfed Encantus Flow because otherwise this deck would have been everywhere and this meta would have been ruined. Would have been ruined, 100% ruined. Um, Mozaki Mage is still playable and still competitive at higher levels uh, but that's pretty much what it needs to be like a fringe maybe high level performer at best elsewhere on ladder not so much and if it has like a 3% play rate then you can live with that it also got slowed down a little bit it doesn't kill you on turn 6 anymore or that happens like it doesn't really happen anymore because when you slow down the encounters flow, then they wait that like you slow down another draw, an additional draw, you slow down all their setup, right? So it takes them longer to execute. They can still execute it very well. Turns seven, eight, definitely they can get it done. And that's not great. But the fact that it's not overly prevalent so far is good. Um, also remember it's far weaker in a vacuum but the meta did get more favorable like you see more shamans right Mozaki Mage does well against shamans Mozaki Mage does well against warlocks 
you see more of them and less poison rogues and obviously things are going to get better for the deck wildfire mage is tier one in barons in barons Tier 1 in the hands of Ridiculous Hat, because Ridiculous Hat runs 4 copies of Wildfire in his deck, or 12 copies, or 46 copies. I lost count. It was a lot. Yeah, it was a lot of copies. He ran a lot of copies of that card. But the deck is fine in the in the, in the current format. It just a, it dips a little bit of higher levels of play. Not the most skill-intensive. It, the curve is so prescribed. Like when you win, it's because you go mask into Dawn Grasp into Mordrish, and that you can see that a mile uh, away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's a very um, dare I say linear deck. Yeah, that is highly dependent on drawing a very specific card in order to get going. People love playing it. I think that you know I don't want to criticize this deck because obviously this deck captured players. Players love playing this deck. It's very popular. It's like almost 10% play rate at like Legend. At Legend, it it's kind of declining a little bit, but it has a crazy good play rate uh, uh, outside of like top Legend because people really enjoy playing it. So I think that in terms of design, the, clearly there's something there that, that Team 5 successfully captured some sort of fantasy that people really enjoy. And it's the deck is pretty simple to play, and you can have pretty good success with it. So I can totally understand why they constantly tried to buff it. Like they kept buffing it. Wildfire went to one, and they buffed Mordrish, and now they buffed Dongrass, so it would work better with Wildfire. And now it works. It works pretty well. I wish it had it was a bit more nuanced, but I think it's fine that this deck is around, and nobody's complaining about it. I don't really hear people complain, oh, Wildfire Mage sucks to play against or whatever. Even though it does pretty well at lower ranks, I wouldn't say it's like Quest Warrior, but if I have a choice between uh, seeing a lot of Quest Warriors, seeing a lot of Wildfire Mages, Wildfire Mage is probably going to um, attract less negative attention. Yeah, it's got more inherent variance. The games take a while. Uh, it doesn't feel like they do one crazy thing and then the game is over. Like, it's this build-up overturn, uh, overturn uh, multiple turns. The the only negativity that I see at all is when people get scammed by a rune, and, like, that's what happens when you get scammed by a big mana card, but it just doesn't happen that much, and a lot of the builds don't even run rune. Yes, but I will say that I think that's part of the appeal why players like it enjoy playing it so much is because of rune i think rune is is a fun card and people like playing it yeah and there's plenty of negativity from people that cast runes and then nothing happens then they die it's so like it's just that's the nature of high variance cards when you play the slot machine sometimes you lose yeah but it is better and more consistent than box i know that some people are not gonna I'm not going to want to hear it, or they're going to disagree. No, Zach, Box was better. No, Rune is actually a better performer. And I can tell because I remember I have a very, very sharp memory, and I know exactly how Box performed. I'm telling you that Rune is a better card. And the fact that it's a better card, and yet it doesn't feel overpowered or complained about to a significant degree, I think is a good thing. So in that, in that aspect, they nailed it, I think. So good. Good for us. Demon Hunter. Oh, boy. I've heard the most about the rise of FelDH this past week from high-level players. I didn't expect it, but I've definitely heard a ton of it. 
I mean, it's really good because it demolishes aggressive decks like no other deck. Like you're looking at Face Hunter, Shadow Priest. Uh, Feldemon Hunter is really good. And the thing is, the, the great combination of Feldemon Hunter is that it does well against the Face Hunters and the Shadow Priests and the Tondruids, but also does really well against Shamans and Warlocks. Like Handlock, I remember when that matchup was Handlock favored. And then they nerfed a bunch of stuff in Handlock. And now Demon Hunter got stronger because of Kurtris and the expendable combo. Suddenly Handlock can really struggle in that matchup can really struggle to attack it shaman kind of a similar story you kind of need to taunt up and somehow get away from the expendable combo i do like the fact that this expendable combo is something that you can play around that you can avoid but there's a bit of a tension there's tension between your desire to play around the expendable combo and your desire to play around jace because you don't want your board to be empty and be just passive and sit there and let your opponent jace you for like 20 damage because that happens so that kind of uh that synergy the way that jace uh and the expendable combo attack you in different way and require you to do different things makes this deck so effective now the one big problem of fell demon hunter is that it has a horrendous matchup against ramp dread it is the deck that its rise probably contributes to ram Druid's improving performance that i talked to you earlier this podcast that i said uh that i mentioned is because feldeman is rising in play and this matchup is like almost 2080 because you can't beat uh solar uh solar eclipse scenario where there's a feldeman and you don't have enough damage the, the expendable combo doesn't do deal enough damage so you just sit there and you die because you have very little chance to do it and even if you have mctheridon by the way you get eaten by a like you play mctheridon oh i played a 12 12 against a druid right that's good and then they eat it <laughs> and you instantly lose the game so even that uh that card is not particularly great and against druid uh when i've evaluated in several matchups another problem control warrior is going to be a problem for feldeman hunter as well we'll get to control warrior soon it's actually a meta relevant deck i can't believe i'm saying this but we're now talking about control warrior in meta matchup considerations hat but yeah it's so last week on the episode, it's so funny, right? Because last week episode, we said, huh, Control Warrior, it's not a real deck. It's like tier 17. I remember what I said at. Uh, and now everything changed because there's a there's an entirely new build. We'll get to that right away. Just before that, small mention, Lifesteal Demon Hunter is also coming back. I'm not too worried about it because I think that much like, like, Maybe even to a lesser extent, like our Warlock is going to be like a fringe combo deck that some people are going to enjoy. It's going to have a reasonable win rate. Lifesteal Demon Hunter is kind of heading in that same direction. Maybe it's a better tournament deck than it is a ladder deck. I'm seeing I'm seeing it have quite a bit of success in tournaments recently, uh, but I don't think it's going to be overly prevalent or overwhelming. We get to Warrior. So Tier 17 build with acidic swamp blues uh, yes that was yeah. that was tier 17 when i looked at the data and talked to you about the podcast i was talking about that deck days went by a few days later a new build showed up that ran captain galvinger faceless manipulators battleground battlemaster and to the front 
And that deck is so, so much better. So much better in such dramatic fashion that it's actually a serious meta contender. How good is it? I would say it's at the very least a tier two deck. I don't think it's ever going to be tier one because it's a very because it has some bad matchups and it's easier to counter, but it's definitely competitive and it's very relevant. Remember when people say, oh, you know, Handlock oppresses Control Warrior, doesn't allow it to be viable, blah, 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 because of the fatigue win condition. Well, this Control Warrior deck beats Handlock. It beats Handlock. It is favored in the matchup against Handlock. I've played that matchup as against that Handlock. I ran into that matchup. It's a hard matchup, Hat. It's a hard matchup for the Handlock. The fatigue win condition is not effective. It doesn't come in fast enough for you to avoid dying to Captain Galvanger. Uh... Another thing, Quest Shaman, definitely not a gimme. Quest Shaman also supposedly pushes out slower strategies, destroys them, doesn't allow them to breathe, whatever. This Warrior deck does fine against Quest Shaman. It's not his favorite, but the matchup is close. So Quest Lines are not keeping Control Warrior out of contention. What's actually hurting Control Warrior more than anything is Ramp Druid. That is the deck that really... Beats it pretty hard. And even Bolner Shaman, while being favored against... Uh, it's favored against this control warrior deck. It's not that. It's like 60-40. We're not talking about Quest Rogue and Goro lopsided matchups. Because turns out, if you find a way to give... Add some more card draw to control warrior. And the card draw here is Cutting Class. Which is not great, but it's manageable. It kind of helps it along. And you actually have Lethality in a way to close out games. You actually have a proactive finisher. Rather than sit there and grinding decks to death, you can have a successful strategy in the current format. And it's not like this deck does it very quickly. It does not. This is not like some lightning fast combo deck that executes to win condition turn 8, turn 9. Very often, it takes longer than that, but it is effective. I think this is maybe the kind of control deck that Team 5 kind of are intending to exist with some sort of finishing potential. Now, one thing that I'm interested in is whether you want to run Barov or whether you run Vandar. I don't have the answer this week. Maybe I have the answer next week. Because Vandar kind of helps you be less reliant on the front. But the question is whether the, the loss of Barov affects, like, for example, the Handlock matchup, uh, where you may want more answers to their big boards, uh, before you're able to execute your win condition um, or or being able to deal with question and threats or being able to deal with like ram druid stuff so i i don't have the the answers right now it's worth noting i've seen this with a few players that just look at the deck list vandar is not a high roll slam on four win the game card in this deck it's not like it is in in other strategies that are much more all in on vandar it's nice to have but it's really not core and you don't need to go out of your way for it yeah but i wonder there there are also experimentation that i'm seeing at kind of in in the following days right after i started working on this on this particular uh, archetype or in this particular variant 
maybe we do want to run Vandar, but then we want to run more payoffs for Vandar. Maybe we want to run like Mutinous for the like like Mutinous could be good with the Vandar, right? Because it's also seven mana minion helps you maybe disrupt something uh, that the opponent does. I don't know. Maybe you want to run Crash. I don't know. People are trying all sorts of stuff. Maybe people are running Troublemakers. Maybe you run Troublemakers within the stack. I don't know. But uh, Vandar kind of opens up more stuff that maybe you want to add now that you do run it. Uh, but again, I'm not sure if it's better than just leaving just the combo uh, package as small as it is and just run Barov for extra survivability. There's a chance that next week I'll tell you, oh, you know what? Barov is actually better. I'm just I just want to see more data because I mostly saw the Barov builds. I didn't see much of the Vandar builds. And you know, it's really easy to you just cut Barov and run Vandar. And there are too many people running uh Viper in this deck. Like Viper is really popular in this variant. And I honestly don't understand why. Why are we running Viper? Am I missing something out? Is there something that Warrior really wants to do? Right? Like the only thing I'm thinking about is Paladin. Yeah, I guess Karyo. But the thing is, Hat, that Control Warrior is only really popular right now at top high-level MMR, where Paladin is not very popular at all. So I really don't understand the Viper. I, I don't get it. I think it's just bait. But we'll see. The Barov, I definitely see merit. I understand why Barov would be valued more than Vandar. In theory, there are a lot of things, a lot of matchups where maybe you don't care about the Vandar, you just, you want to survive, right? You want to get to that point where you can play the two defronts uh, and execute your win condition. You don't need Vandar to execute it. It just helps. What what Vandar does, it really helps your Rattlegore uh, get a lot better. Because sometimes, if you play Vandar and you drop Rattlegore early, you just win with, you just faceless it and Battlemaster it, and that's how you win. And you don't need to wait for Galvanger. So that's kind of the big upside of Vandar. So we'll see. Quest Warrior. It's just not a thing, right? I mean, it's a thing at Bronze, but outside of that, not really. Did the nerf impact the win rate at Bronze? Like, I don't know if we really looked that deeply into it, but... People people at Bronze are still losing to this deck. I honestly don't think this deck, this nerf did much for the... Maybe it did... Like, it's weaker than it used to be, but I think what it did mostly is the fact, like, the Diamond Platinum players that, you know, occasionally hit Legend, but play a bit more casually, um, and they run into a bunch of Quest Warriors, and they lose to it, and it pisses them off because the deck is kind of annoying, and now they don't run into it as much, and the deck loses a lot more. So they probably feel better about it. I think that's mostly the population that it affects. Like we talked about as well, it's this is a nerf to the play rate, not just to the win rate, because the play rate has significantly dropped because people got their dust back, and so they cashed out. That is true. That is true. That it, it's always you, you always have to take play rate into consideration. So in that respect, the nerfs did work. It's just that you know, since the deck was trash anyway at high levels, it doesn't matter. Like, you don't lose anything uh, because nobody at Top Legend was even playing Quest Warrior before it was nerfed. Um, in terms of Wild, for example, it probably wasn't effective uh, in terms of addressing that deck's power level at Wild. But I think that in Wild, 
you know, people pointed to the quest line a lot. I think what's happening well is just that the pirate package is just really, really powerful. And mostly what's strong in 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 Quest Warrior and Wild is just a weapon tutor. Just the ability to tutor Ankar. That's the that phase is more important than pretty much anything else in Wild. Because you basically I remember when Quest Warrior would just run Ankar and would like tutor it. And now it doesn't need to even invest any anything into tutoring Ankar. Just gets it automatically. So I think that helps a lot. That that can wild. And it doesn't even matter. Like the quest completion for wild doesn't even matter that much. As much as the pressure from the weapon tutor plus second phase. I mean, it's nice to have access to, but like that's not how you win most of the games. And Zach, let me tell you, I dipped into wild a little bit. Uh, but... I lost to some pirate warriors that didn't even run the quest on, like, turn four. They get a ship's cannon draw. That's still a bunch of damage. I'm telling you, the it's just the, the the shell itself is what's powerful. It's not the quest line. It's not the quest line. It's no, it's pirates. Shell. Pirates shell are good. Is nuts. Ship's cannon. Ship's cannon is a lot of shells. Yeah. I mean, they nerfed one aspect, one card in... in quest hunter in wild, and that deck is, like, deleted. I don't know. I don't want to comment. I actually didn't look into it much, but my impression from people telling me that Odd Questline Hunter is kind of gone and Pirate Warrior is still as strong as ever, and I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that pirates are just strong. <laughs> like, Pirate Warrior as a deck without the Questline is just good. That is also not a new development. Yeah. It's just years and years of synergy that was, you know piled on top of it but you remember there was one point like a couple years ago where secret mage was kind of the same thing there was piles and piles of synergy and people wondered will we ever like will secret mage ever be obsolete until it was so maybe that will happen to pirates in in wild uh, one day anyway paladin not much to say about Paladin. Liberal Paladin is really good. Dips at high levels of play because it's Paladin. You know the story. I don't need to tell you too much about it. Nothing changed about its build. Nobody's developing. Nobody's experimenting with Paladin much. When a deck has a low play rate at top legend, that usually means there's no experimentation because most of the refinement work is done at top legend and trickles down. If you're wondering why I value top legend meta developments, it's because of that. That's it. I think the meta is pretty good. I think subjectively, if I say so myself, I think the meta is in good shape. I wish we had this meta um, a month ago. Previously, yeah, a month ago. I wish we had it a month ago. I wish Rogue didn't break the game, but it did. But we can enjoy a a relatively diverse and uh, balanced meta with a lot of different options to choose from for to cater to many players. And we can uh, hold tight until the mini set arrives and probably not get overly bored until that time comes. And whenever that comes, then I'm looking forward to the mini set because mini sets based on the last year are always nuts. They're basically always nuts. It feels like they're kind of saving the super busted stuff for the mini sets. Uh... <laughs> No, I see. Like, they're they're sending an expansion, and there's some definitely things that shake up. But then, there's a higher concentration of busted cards in the mini sets. So we'll see what happens. 
Yeah, we've had a powerful impact from the miniseries. I think you were looking over this earlier today because we always think of Darkmoon Raises as the busted one and it was really, really strong as proof of concept for the miniset. But we've gotten some pretty good cards from the last couple too, from the ones this year. I mean, what did we get in the la- in the miniset of last year? Uh, uh, Darkmoon Raises. What do you get? Arbor Up? Nitro Boost Poison? That seems like harmless... Definitely not meta-defining cards that shaped the format for the next year or so. Crab Rider, by the way. Oh, man. Which would have shaped the format if they didn't nerf it. Backfire is in this set. It's actually nuts, right? Darkmoon Races was actually nuts. Darkmoon Races was more impactful than Darkmoon Fair. It's actually nuts. You look at the li- the cards that came out in Darkmoon Races... Actually insane. So many like just good cards. Rolling the list of cards that saw play. Armor Vendor, Crab Rider, Dreaming Drake, Arbor Up, Bullshot seeing some play now, Mana Biscuit seeing some play now, uh Librum of Judgment has fallen off. Uh Shenanigans, Spark Joy Cheat, I guess have fallen off, Landslide, Backfire, uh, and then also all the dual class cards resizing pouch, Fellfire, Deadeye, Imprisoned, Phoenix, Nitro Boost, Poison, Guidance, Hysteria. Oh my goodness. Oh wow. So many good cards. Just yeah. think about it. Think about this this kind of set coming because I expect a powerful mini set to come, um, whenever it comes. So I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, looking forward to it. So uh, that's gonna do it for our show this week. So thank you so much, everyone who's uh, who's tuned in. Extra special thanks to our VS Gold, VS Silver Patreon members. You can look forward to the next report on schedule on uh set on Thursday the tenth. And our next podcast on Saturday the 12th with Gallant. We're very excited to talk to him. And uh, Evil Dave, thank you so much for the podcast transcriptions. Extra special thanks to everyone that uh, wished me well. Thank you so much. I'm I'm glad to be back in the airwaves. And Steven Sensei, you're the real MVP. Thank you so much for the intro and outro. We'll talk to you all soon. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers. 